Welcome to another episode of Ladywood, the podcast where two huge fans of Deadwood and one newbie are re-watching in anticipation of the movie coming out sometime in 2019. My name is Brandy. I am a writer and co-host of the Downton Gabby podcast. My name is Sita Sean. I'm a stand-up comedian and comedy writer. And I'm Lynn Sternberger. I'm a television writer, and we are all good friends living here in Los Angeles. This week, we are discussing discussing Season 1, Episode 10, Mr. Wu, which first aired May 23rd, 2004. An opium theft leaves Swearingen trying to find common language with his supplier and the boss of the Deadwood Chinese population, Mr. Wu, as well as navigating tricky waters to deal with the mess. A letter from a Yankton magistrate infuriates Swearingen, but he finds the solution may well lie with the letter's deliverer. Eddie Sawyer promises to back Joni for her brothel. Yes. We just call this the cocksucker episode. Yeah. <laughs> cocksucker charades is what it really is. Elevated cocksucker within the dialogue of Deadwood to being of like epic status. Right. Yeah. I mean it's bridging the white man and the, the Chinese man. <laughs> the total populations. Cocksucker is the common language. Um kind of like a miser exercise what they were doing back and forth <laughs> oh my gosh it was really funny it was hilarious and i was also like should i be laughing but i think the answer is yes because al respects Wu's business savvy and the uh way that they are sort of like cohabitating this environment and feeding one another and He's his supplier, which I don't know if we totally knew that before this episode, that Wu had, like, the opium trade mm-hmm. happening. I, I, I didn't know where the opium was coming from, so, and I guess it's coming from California. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that we did have those details before this episode. We really had only heard about the pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, also, very necessary service that Wu is yes, providing. Disposal. Yes, I love the scene. I love the way they start it with him coming in the front door and all of the chaos that that causes amongst the henchmen. Johnny and EB just don't know what to do with themselves. Dan doesn't really give a fuck, but he's just kind of waiting back to see whether his services are needed at all. And then Al is like, just send him the fuck up, you know? Not that Al isn't super racist throughout this episode, because he is, but I like that moment when he's just like, why are we doing this? Just send him up. Let me just see what the next fucking problem I have to deal with is. It sets Uh, up the the racism of the other people as an inconvenience that they buy into themselves, which I thought that was really funny because they kept trying to delay this issue that was clearly something Al was just like, "I'm I'm not being racist just to, like, make him feel bad for five more minutes. Right. I'll be racist when it serves me because I need to be on top of the pyramid Mm -hmm. hierarchy here. Mm -hmm. But if it's going to cause me an inconvenience while I stand and watch them herd him out and back around to the back, no. (laughs) This is a functional racism. Yeah, I would say that. It's Uh, a practical racism. Practical racism. I mean, not having racism in a town like Deadwood would be ridiculous uh because it's of the period and we've Mm -hmm. already seen it with their way they interact with like the native population of deadwood Mm -hmm. and um the way they speak to saul we already heard it with the way that they treated Wu Uh and and dismissed him i think that this episode goes a a long way toward making me respect how they're managing the racism within the camp as opposed to like just not having those characters at all. Here we learn Wu is business savvy. He, like Al, has his uh, entire sort of like 
pecking order of people mm-hmm. that work for him. He's got an ongoing business interest, and actually he's very good for the camp. I mean, you can argue that drug dealers aren't good, but he's providing service to the entirety of the camp. So, And he's apparently the meat guy, too, right? Yep. And Dan was very impressed with the ribs. Yeah. <laughs> nice yeah. meat. Nice meat. <laughs> like the line of the episode for me. Nice meat. did make me really crave some barbecue. <laughs> I was a little bit wondering about the refrigeration conditions in Wu's mm. sort of little meat bunker. Is that like a salted meat situation yeah, we're I talking about? Yeah, I think they about? were like... I hope so. Drying it out or something. I don't know. Yeah, there's. I don't think they've got like the Ice Man coming or anything yeah. like that. They could. They could smoke the meat. Yeah, it was some sort of situation like yeah. that. I do. I would love to see more, even more details about what kind of operation he has set up. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I feel like just the way that the show is, they're probably not going to focus on Mister Wu's operation. But it feels like he's kind of got his own universe that mm-hmm. he's in charge of. So, like, if there was a web series about Mr. Wu, I would be super <laughs> into it. <laughs> David Milch, let me write Mr. Wu. <laughs> if only the show had been produced, I don't know, a decade later, yeah. there may have been, there been a Wu totally. web series. Or there and there could have been one about, like, in, inside the brothel, like the... The whores, the whores. could get their moment. Mm-hmm. Whore hour. Yeah. Whatever. Whore hour. <laughs> it would just be called Titty Corner. <laughs> titty Corner. In the Titty Corner. <laughs> I, mean, I would so watch the shit out of all of those. I would watch all of them. It doesn't just have to be Red Dead Redemption. It could be a lot, you guys. Right. Yeah, totally. So this episode was written by Brian McDonald and directed by Dan Minahan who uh, directed not long ago uh, that episode where Flora and Miles got their heads beat in. Mm-hmm. Um, and is directing the movie. And he's directing the movie. Welcome back, Dan Minahan. Wu's delivery man has been killed by a white man, and uh, he and Al have to get to the bottom of it and see justice done. Yeah, but part of that story is also the sort of racial math that they're doing, which is that you can't kill two white men for one Chinaman that's dead. Even one white man. Even one white man is one one too many, but which Al eventually agrees to still kill at least one so that Mr. Wu is redeemed, I think, in Mm -hmm. the eyes of his people or feels like he's gotten his revenge too. Very savvy the way that we see when Al goes to visit Wu and we get that great funny stuff with like Dan and the, the good meat. Um, is the way that he's aware of how Wu is being viewed by the people in his mm-hmm. corner of the universe, and he talks him up and makes him look like a big man mm-hmm. in front of the others. So he's like, even if they don't understand the language that I'm speaking, they understand my body language, and this is going to elevate Wu, and because I'm in cahoots with Wu, that does good things for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course it's all like conniving, but he doesn't want to... It's that functional racism coming mm-hmm. into play. Mm-hmm. He's like, we can all gain something by lifting Wu up. <laughs> I get something mostly. Uh, I thought this uh, entire episode was just like a lot of comedy, just like endless stream of comedy, like um, Merrick having breakfast at the inn. Oh. There's just like five fat jokes about him all within like one scene. Like, oh, <laughs> Merrick, your cravat's in the bacon while you're staring at this hot woman. Merrick, you've knocked somebody over while you're like bending over. It's like, it's like they just like, like making fun, fun, fun of his body. And he's so, and he's so desperate for friends that he wants to That's open up that. That's the thing, right? Like we're, we're not down with the fat jokes, but we are, we do have sympathy for him and his, desperation for friends yes exactly he seems educated and nobody wants to hang with him and then they took that like 
little promenade and he was like, it's so, it's so nice taking the air with my fellow gentlemen or something very awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were like, yeah, uh, okay. He's like, can we set this up as a recurring play date? And they were like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> they all said no to him so fast. Not, not interested, really. <laughs> I think they just wandered away. Let's just walk when we run into each other. Yeah. Seth says like four times. We gotta open the store. They were like, let's make this cat, let's keep this casual. <laughs> Let's not make it a thing, America. We're going to start their club called the Ambulators. Oh, my God. I feel like America has, like, no allies in that camp. I mean, he's he's really alone. He's, like, a man of letters, right? Yeah. As much as you can be in Deadwood. True. Not a lot of people there that understand him. I feel like Doc Cochran would be his natural man of a similar station. Mm-hmm. But Doc Cochran is friendless. I mean, he's... I, if we're to believe what he tells people like Joni and, and uh, Jane, he's an addict who keeps business hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the only two things of his life. Yeah, he's like, busy the rest of the time dealing with his ghosts of the Civil War or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's not, he's not looking to Haunted chit-chat man. at the hotel. He's seen too much shit to get along with Merrick, basically. Yeah. But it really does leave Merrick hard up and he doesn't have a woman. Not with his cravat and his bacon all the time. Right. Well, part of the reason that that whole series of jokes in the hotel happens mm-hmm. is because a lot of this episode is about like how much the camp is growing so fast. And part of that is these dealings that Al is having with the magistrate about whether they're going to be annexed or not. And so we get our first glimpse of Silas Adams, who seems like he maybe will be a... Another major recurring character, he rolls into town with the um, communications from the magistrate, which Al is real pissed to discover are asking for more money. I was a little disappointed, I will say, when this guy showed up and got sucked into Al's orbit, because I was like, I don't understand what draws out. I know he needs to make nice with this guy's boss, Mm -hmm. but I don't know why he's taking him under his wing so much. And also, I was like, another dude... Like, another yeah. one. Mm-hmm. They have all the same facial hair. <laughs> it's hard enough to tell them apart. I agree. I think the first conversation they have is very confusing, and I watched it multiple times. I was just like, he's so mad about the letter. And then he just, two seconds later, is like, well, I'll have some free pussy while while we're waiting to figure this out. I mean, even the guys at the gym <laughs> remark upon it, too. Dan, uh, Dan and Johnny. Johnny's like, hey, Al's being real nice with this other guy. Why is it not me? <laughs> Yeah, and E.B. says it's counterfeit niceness, mm-hmm. and I think he's right to a degree, but I think Al also, like, he seems to see something usable in this guy. He mm-hmm. seems to see potential in him. He sort of tests him out by being like, here's my situation with Lou, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And then he ends up doing the exact same thing that Silas suggests, although putting his own little Al spin on it by having no short straw at all when when the poor addicts have to draw their straws. But... I don't feel like any of that is explained enough. Like, what is it that makes him suddenly see something in Silas? Yeah. I, I don't re- recall a moment where we could be like, oh, I'm intrigued by this guy. I'm not intrigued by him. Yeah. He didn't get a characterizing moment. At all. Where it was, like, subverting an expectation mm-hmm. or, like, charming us even. Like, he was pretty straight. He's not charming. Mm-hmm. So we're wondering, like, yeah, I think it's it's weird because most characters, when they're introduced, that moment so solidifies them in some way. 
and he's a little bit of a ghost at this point. I'm not sure. I don't remember how this particular storyline plays out, so I'll, I'll have to hold my, you know, thoughts on, like, the execution of it overall until we see how he stays or exits the show. But, yeah, I was just, uh, felt he was underdeveloped. Yeah, it's like thinking back to the two most recent guest stars. We just had the Kristen Bell's character, that moment where you see her turn and you see her, like, really become the person that she is. You're immediately intrigued by her. You know, like she's keeping secrets. Right, exactly. And we need that moment from Silas, too. So yeah. we Will understand. we get it? That's a good question. But there's a lot of excrement in this episode, guys. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Shit, a lot of vomit, a lot of everything coming every out of every orifice. hole. I agree. Yeah. Right. So... Al calls Jimmy Irons into his office. It doesn't take him much detective work to figure out who must have stolen the dope. He's just like, find me the dope fiend. <laughs> and then there's that, only two. <laughs> yeah, there's just a couple of dope fiends in, in town. Um, one of whom is Jimmy Irons and one of whom is Leon, who Al sent over to the Bella Union to work when those guys first rolled into town. Although he seems to have... Kind of gone over to Sai's side. Yeah. I, think I feel like this is a huge oversight for Al. Like, Al, what were you busy doing that you lost track of your dope fiend? Right? Like, Dan says he hasn't seen them in a few days, and it's like, isn't that guy supposed to be your spy? Yeah. Like, he was. Too plates in the air for <laughs> Al. He's missing entire people in his operation. Um, but that scene in the office when Jimmy is, like, still strung out, completely terrified, but trying to, like bow down to Al to spare his own life and then he shits himself is just yep <laughs> the over apology for shitting himself was really funny too because how many times can you say I'm sorry I shot myself <laughs> you just can't do it the unfortunate part is that we stay on him and so I just like couldn't stop looking and yeah. being like did they do the whole thing like did they dress his bottom to look like he had they hadn't but I watched for it and then to see him crawl over the banister and like fall into the muck I, I hurt my myself arm. <laughs> that was so funny I like the two second warning he gave to Al too before, after he took the shit he was like that's who you're smelling I just shat myself Al really oh my had God. to think about smells he really yes. does not like how badly life smells around him. He's super him. offended. Yes. All there, the time. There was the conversation about the farting. Yeah. I mean, he's always mentioning bad smells. In this one, he says that uh, lion smells like uh, cat piss. Yeah. Like cat it's piss lion smell. that causes that cat piss <laughs> smell. Very sensitive, okay? He's a very sensitive man. But Jimmy Irons ends up um, drawing the short straw. Mm-hmm. And then he's murdered in front of his uh, his a fellow dope fiend. What was up with the bath situation? Like that was a little weird. I was like, why did Al send them to a bath? Because like, Jimmy shot himself. I guess, but or is this just an out of the way I think location? He was sobering them up. Is what I thought it was. Oh, okay. I didn't think it was an actual cleanliness scenario. Either way, these guys are so dumb. They're being like, it's so nice of you to let us have a bath and just, you know, shoot up again, but then hang out a little. You're such a good guy, (laughs) Do you not understand what is happening here? Like, you're being dressed for slaughter. Oh, so there's your answer, Sita. They were being dressed for slaughter. There we go. (laughs) So that brings me to another point. Once they feed Jimmy Irons to the pigs, I'm like, uh, and then earlier in the episode when Dan took a slab of meat, I was like, 
is Deadwood eating pigs that eat men? Yeah, that's they what are we're sure. doing. For. 100% they it's are. like completing the loop. Yeah. Yeah. We're eating man eating pigs. Yeah. That's Extra savory, I guess. <laughs> it's the Deadwood delicacy, which we'll see served in the next episode. <laughs> oh my God. The bacon that Mary gets his cravat in. Oh, it's all tainted. So, aside from the uh, cocksucker storyline, so we we see that play out. We see Al actually, I would say get his hands dirty, but he uses his foot. Um, To drown. He gets his foot wet. Yes. Sacrifices his own man to avoid sacrificing, quote unquote, size man. Strategic murder. Strategic murder. There was no short straw, right? I didn't catch that, but I guess not. So yeah. he just decided. He was like, yeah, fuck it. You were always going to die. I was right. always going to choose you. Well, he's trying to keep Sai calm about the and not start a race war, which we'll see how well yep. that yep. goes. Because Sai again exists to make Al seem palatable yeah. <laughs> while Al's going really? around with a lot of racial slurs in this episode. And Sai is just like 10 levels above him and his white supremacy. <laughs> I think uh, another storyline that we get a little bit of is the Reverend's continued decline. He is obsessed with the piano at the gem, which is funny, sweet and funny and sad, ultimately. Um, Doc tells Al that he thinks it has to be a tumor at this point, which I think I had figured out when I first watched it. Uh, We knew it was a brain thing, right? I think he he called it a lesion at first. I think the doc was being a shade optimistic, hoping it was something that might clear itself up. Well, it's definitely not. No. (laughs) He keeps going back to the piano. He has a little confrontation with Al. He gets tossed out once nicely, and then he gets tossed out, I think, a second time a little bit more abruptly by Al, who thinks that, first of all, he doesn't want a reverend making people feel like, holy in his place of business. Right. I think Al also is just has a distaste for the sort of messiness of human life on display because um, the Reverend is clearly not well. Um, but he seeks out Saul and Seth, um, even though he can't be certain. He doesn't recognize them, so clearly there's brain stuff. He says he sees the image of his friends yeah. before him, but he doesn't know if it, he thinks they might be devils or something. <clears throat> it's it's a very poetic scene in an odd way, mm-hmm. um, but it's so sad. So they have this like very touching moment where Saul and Seth assure him that he's in the company of friends, and I lost it. Um, it was not a particularly emotional episode for me mm-hmm. until that moment. I, I really feel for the reverend and maybe the decline of the reverend is um sort of like whatever tenuous hold religion had in deadwood just just slipping out you going for the metaphor Sita? maybe Ooh. i mean i don't know because who else is religious in that camp there's not a ton of people ex-religious people a yeah. lot of ex-religious like, people a lot of yeah. people have lost their religion for and sure. and he's losing it literally in like through his mind and through his wow. body I feel like I just read a doctoral thesis. <laughs> or no, I think there's something to it, Sita. Like no, no, no. I, I think that the metaphor really actually does work, and I don't recall if we get more examples of religion, but we'll pay attention from here on out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what stood out to me about this episode in particular is how 
few scenes the women are given. Like, we just aren't really spending much time with the They're ladies. They're barely there. Yeah. We see Joni in the hotel, and she has a nice moment with Charlie. Obviously, their friendship is developing a little bit. It's like a recurring date between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. well, he has nowhere to sit, and she pretends like she's been waiting for him. It's They, they have such, like, a high school thing going on, yeah. where, like, the pretty girl is nice to the nerd, kind yeah. of. Beauty and the Geek. <laughs> For sure, but I think that's pretty much it. Like, we really don't see Alma much. We don't see Trixie much. Jane is still off somewhere mm. on a bender. Alma has that conversation with Ellsworth about her mind, right? Before she's mm-hmm. interrupted, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very like, yes, they're still here holding patterns, kind of, while yeah. we're dealing with these other storylines. And then we've got Seth working himself up as, about his position as the health commissioner. <laughs> Once again, I feel that he needs to just relieve himself a little bit because he's so tense. So wound up. <laughs> he should go jack off in the woods. <laughs> yep, that's that's continued to be my diagnosis for him. <laughs> um, and we see a black guy, Hofstetler. Hofstetler. They said his name, like, I don't know, 20 times in the course of two scenes. And I was like, we get it. New character. And we, we are introduced to him because it sounds like he uh, and Seth have had a conversation mm-hmm. briefly in the past about maybe the land that he's on and Seth could purchase the land from him. Is that Am I recalling this correctly, yeah. guys? Yeah. So uh, it, we don't know how long Hofstetler is going to be in town even. It sounds like he's on his way out. Yeah, he seems to want to unload this land and presumably Seth needs to build a house since he keeps saying his wife and boy are coming. Right. But none of that is actually really spelled out, so who knows how much more we'll be seeing of him. I keep wanting definite answers and realizing they probably didn't even have them themselves. Like, (laughs) yeah, it can't be like, well, I bought the U-Haul and uh, we'll be there on uh, September the 12th, (laughs) barring, I don't know, scurvy. Like, they just didn't know. I just feel like when they were breaking season one and they're like, Seth, but Seth has a wife and a kid, like that plot point kept getting pushed back. Further every episode, they're like, do we have to do the wife and kid? Do we have to? And now it's like episode 10, they're like, oh, okay, let's do the wife and kid. That sounds accurate. Yes, we gotta get the wife and kid. They're like, Seth has not boned a single person yet. (laughs) Brandy is concerned. (laughs) Very concerned. Uh, Yeah, for me, this was not my, a standout episode. I mean, Wu really gets his moment, and I thought that that was like, the best stuff mm-hmm. was the was the Al and the Wu scenes. It's just being like comedic gold, and then the touching end for the Reverend of Saul and Seth was nice. But but all of the other stuff felt like filler. We yeah. really haven't even mentioned the most important detail of this whole what? episode, which is that Eb has a new jacket. Oh my god, <laughs> that's true. I love how every time top. a guy gets a new jacket, they, everybody else shits all over it. <laughs> <laughs> Al's like, find a different tailor. Yeah, Evie says, anything the mayor should know, Now says the name of another tailor. Uh, just like, don't say mean about the jacket. What's a good jacket? We haven't seen a good jacket yet. They're all hideous. I mean, the women have fairly decent jackets. Alma is, Alma's couture is on point, yeah. but the men, oh my god. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, Charlie Utter, just like, what is he wearing constantly? <laughs> I'm gonna defend Charlie <laughs> So it sounds like, it seemed to me like he got the jacket to celebrate his new position as mayor, yeah. right? Like, yeah, or he busted it out of the mothballs or something, because it doesn't exactly look super fashion forward. <laughs> it looks like he took it off another man, to be totally honest. You know what's kind of sad, though, is that it 
looks like the tux my dad wore in his <laughs> wedding. <laughs> the like powder boo tux in the 70s <laughs> with the like ruffles. <laughs> it looks like that. It, we complained about the old one. We're complaining about the new one. At least it's not moth eaten, right? <laughs> like, it doesn't have quite as many holes and rips and, and stuff. Yeah. It looks like it smells less. I think EB will just forever be sartorially unfortunate. <laughs> uh, anybody else? Standout moments? I would agree with Lynn. I thought this episode meandered a lot. With a few, like, bright spots. But, like, it, it kind of, like... Yeah, yeah, it kind of wandered. It felt like it was wandering. Hopefully we'll have some more action next time, especially since um, we didn't mention that Eddie comes to see Joni and offers to back her in her new place with his, some he has some sort of plan to rob Cy, which he says he can do easily and which demonstrates. smart. Oh. Yeah, he demonstrates it by stealing Joni's pocket watch, and I'm like, that is not going to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Sorry, Eddie. Uh, I was happy that we finally got to see him do something sly, only, not because I thought, oh yes, your plot is going to be a massive success because you're a thief, like a small time thief. Right. But because the actor himself mm-hmm. is a magician. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, we hadn't really I didn't gotten know, to see any of that. Um, and Ricky J passed away recently. We actually had recorded our previous episodes before that happened, so we yeah. haven't mentioned it yet. Um, but I had no idea that he was this, like, incredibly impressive magician in real life. And I was watching all these videos after people were tweeting about his death, and I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like, the card tricks are really, like, how'd you do that? Like, magical. I feel like we should have seen something more stupendous. Yeah. As far now as that his... I know what he can do, yeah. and obviously why they cast him in this role, I'm like, when are we going to get to see that? Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go. We'll see how that goes, because Joni can't seem to decide on buying a property anyways, or renting a property. Joni needs to make a decision and just do something, because, like, I love her, but, like, girl. She and Alma are in indecision land for, like, episode upon episode upon Mm -hmm. episode, Mm -hmm. right? Low-level torment and indecision. Yep. Yep. I need it to come to a head, please. We'll we'll see how it goes. Uh... (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Trying to think of a joke on that. (laughs) So thanks for listening to us discuss racism. Um, <laughs> Always a great topic. For <laughs> because show. we had fewer feminism moments, I guess. So we're just going to default to another ism. We're intersectional. Come on. We are intersectional. Uh, hopefully next week we get more lady stuff. Until then, find us on Twitter at LadywoodCast. I'm Lynn Sternberger. You can find me at Lynn Sternberger. I'm Brandy Sperry. You can find me at WeBrandy, O-U-I-B-R-A-N-D-I. And I am Sita. You can find me at Slowbear, S-L-O-B-E-A-R. Thank you so much for listening. 